On this episode of Employment Notebook here on LJN Radio, we're going to be talking about emotions at work, specifically how we can help to control those emotions when we're trying to get our work done. To do so today, we're going to speak with Susan Whitbourne, currently a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. You can also find her work at Psychology Today. She has the blog Fulfillment at Any Age. Susan, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, Tim. And we're talking about emotions, and we'll get into some details of exactly what we want to discuss. I want to start off with the idea of emotion regulation. That was a term that I saw you use. What exactly does that mean, and why is it important for people? It means um, taking your emotional temperature and then either heating it up or cooling it down according to the situation at the moment. Very often, it does mean cooling down. Mm -hmm. Usually, we don't have to worry too much about regulating our emotions up unless you are a pretty, what we call flat affect, <laughs> and you don't show emotion, then you might have to, you know, ramp it up a bit. But usually it means toning down an extreme reaction to a situation. I find it interesting. You said most people, you know, you don't need to be ramped up necessarily, but you got to cool them down. Is there a reason that is? It's just the way that the human condition is wired or how does, how does that work? I don't think it's so much a hard wiring. I think it's what's considered socially appropriate. Oh. So we expect babies to cry and stomp and stamp their feet and, you know, whine. And it's not pleasant, but it's acceptable. But by the time you're an adult, you're not really supposed to display <laughs> that extent of emotion. All right. That makes some sense, I guess. Now, in a similar vein to this, and we will get to more specifics about regulating emotion, is it unhealthy to hold in your emotions? You know, again, maybe say you're at work or it's a certain situation where you just kind of bottle it all up because obviously we hear that that's not a good thing, but uh, I, we're talking with an expert, so I want to get your take on it. Well, there, unfortunately, there are times when you have, to, you have to stuff it. It may not be particularly healthy at the moment, but if it's going to help you keep your job or your relationships, then it is ultimately healthy. What you need is some sort of stress release, though, and it may be just cooling it when something to you as it's happening, knowing that later you're going to find a way to release that sure. uh, aggression. Like maybe you'll go to the gym and take a ball and throw it really hard at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as long as you're not slamming your hand into the wall, which would be very unhealthy. Or you can also use a stress management technique right in the moment, taking a deep breath practicing your breathing, thinking about something else, distracting yourself. These are all ways that you can not only hide your emotion, but even change it. With that, let's talk a little bit about the idea of trying to keep your emotions in check and under control, uh, regulation as the term we used earlier. And this, of course, can apply in your everyday life as well as at work, which is uh, most often the, the focus that we have. In terms of preparing yourself, so to speak. Uh, we, we hear the term trigger a lot when it comes to emotions. You know, What exactly is a trigger? How do you define that? And then what can we do about maybe avoiding that trigger? Well, I think uh, just the idea of looking for triggers is an excellent suggestion because so much of the time we react and we don't even know what we're reacting to. Like somebody criticizes you at work. I, I think that's one of the most upsetting experiences for somebody to have. I mean, it can take the form of bullying when it's extreme. Mm -hmm. But if you know you don't like criticism and that's your trigger, you also know you're going to be seeing it where maybe it's not even there. So one is to sort of separate the reality of what you're projecting onto other people. Sorry for 
using a technical term, but that's really what you're doing. Is <laughs> right. you're, you're imagining that somebody is feeling something that they're not. And then the other is when somebody actually is being critical, to be able to find a way to handle that in a mature fashion and, and not sort of catastrophize that it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. One, of course, you can't always necessarily avoid a situation from happening, as you just mentioned there, understanding that it's probably going to happen at some point. Are there ways we can, or do you have any tips to help people adjust that situation, or I think you termed it modify the situation to maybe help alleviate that emotion from occurring? Yes, I think so. Let's just return to this example of the boss criticizes your work. If you're getting this a lot, maybe there's some aspects of your work that need to be fixed. Although the criticism, you have trouble hearing it, it is actually meant to be constructive and there is a way to solve the problem. And that's to open up to the possibility that there is something wrong with your work and then try to get some help with your boss or another coworker to change your own behavior so that it doesn't become a problem in the future. Right. So like if you're constantly showing up late, it's really easy. Just don't be late. <laughs> you're going to make your boss mad if you're late or if people are waiting for you at a meeting, they're, they're not going to like that. So that's an easy behavior to change. How much of emotion ends up being something that we maybe project onto someone else that, as you just mentioned there, we can control certain things, but a lot of times individuals will get upset because of something else that's not in their control. Where's that balance between what we control, getting upset at that versus what other people are doing? Well, what you're projecting onto others, what you imagine that they're meaning when they're not meaning it, it's very hard to deal with that because you have to, I'm I'm not sure where it all comes from, but I I think one way to handle it is to ask some clarifying questions. Hmm. And before you draw the wrong conclusion, to either ask yourself or ask the other person, is this what you meant? And maybe you'll find that they didn't mean that at all. Sure. And, And I think it is easier to do this at work than in your personal life because I mean, there's a objective basis for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. There's products that need to be made or things that need to be sold. Or if you're teaching, there are people have to be taught. So it's a little bit more objective than uh, who does the dishes every night. Right. <laughs> which gets laden with all, you know, and then sex gets into that whole family situation, the relationship situation. Whereas at work, there are objective realities that sure. need to be addressed. Yeah, you're right. There are definitely uh, different situations and scenarios when you're talking about home versus work. uh, And obviously, for the most part, we're focusing on work here. Another uh, area that you suggested as far as a strategy to help is the idea of shifting your attentional focus. What does that mean to you? How can you describe that to the listeners? Yeah, when you shift your attentional focus, you it's a fancy way of saying you're thinking about something else. So You can change a situation eventually, but before you get to that, that is a later stage down the road, just don't pay attention to it. You have a coworker who is constantly annoying you because they're popping their gum, and that can be really distracting. Mm -hmm. But if there's no workplace policy against cracking your gum, then you have no basis for complaining. So you just have to not think about it. It's really difficult. (laughs) And I think sometimes it's harder to shift your attentional focus when you're bored. Hmm. Once you're engaged in a task, it's pretty, sometimes the world will go by and you don't even notice it. Sure. But when you're bored, I guess avoiding being bored would uh, be one way to make sure that things that would ordinarily bother you recede to the background. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a fair point to bring up because, uh, you know, with a lot of our conversations, we talk with people and uh, I'm sure you've read and seen as well that 
The idea of engagement at work is a, a big issue right now. And to your point there, if you're not engaged in your work, you're probably going to notice those things that might get on your nerves more often than not. Yeah, I mean, that might be a good indicator that something's missing in the workplace. Work engagement is a huge area, a very current area of research now. And it's you know, related to the idea of flow, mm-hmm. like getting in your zone. And when you're in flow and in your zone, these things that might otherwise bother you really recede into the background. How is shifting your attentional focus different than the idea of cognitive reappraisal? What's the, what's the difference there? Okay, so in, in shifting your focus, you're trying to ignore something mm-hmm. that's a trigger. Cognitive reappraisal is redefining a situation so that it's not, you know, from, from your own automatic assumptions and thoughts that you might have. In a very simple way, it's seeing what, something good and something bad. I mean, that's, that's the most direct way of saying cognitive appraisal. Reappraisal is, is seeing the bright side to a negative situation. So are there certain, I don't want to call them tricks, but strategies that you can use to try to do that? Because as we're talking about this, of course, it's easy to describe it in theory, but to actually put it into practice, is there anything you can offer up for people that might need this in their work life? Yes. So if you're feeling, I can't possibly get all this done, and you're feeling really beleaguered and and stressed because you feel like there's just way too many demands being made on your time. I mean, there's maybe some reality to that, but it may also be you are just the kind of person who likes to have things very clear and laid out for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, reappraising the situation may be saying, I'm making it worse than it is. Okay. And, and, and then you can also start thinking about times you've succeeded in managing very similar multiple demands on you. And then you'll be able to feel more confident in your ability to perform that task. With all of this, of course, as we've mentioned a couple of times, we do focus on the work area. Important to understand that people are human, so they have things going on in their personal life. How do you suggest people handle trying to separate the two? The idea of bringing personal emotions into the workplace can obviously be an issue and vice versa. If you're having trouble at work and you bring it home and there can be problems, is there a way to differentiate that? Do you think people in general can make that separation for some reason? What's your overall thought? Well, I think that you know, difficult times in your home life can really create stress for you at work. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. You know, your house is getting flooded. We're having a lot of ice storms here in the Northeast. So people are really worried about water damage to their homes. So you're at work and this it becomes a preoccupation and you may even have to deal with insurance companies while you're trying to get your work done. So I think the best way to kind of handle those very kind of a combination of stress is to, you have to force yourself to compartmentalize things. Mm-hmm. You recognize that this is stressful. You, you can't deny it. And then I think that here's where sort of the cognitive approach really is important and what we call a problem-focused coping. Write down the things you need to do to separate out these issues or you know, maybe it's daycare. But write down what has to be addressed and then figure out a plan for how to address it. I mean, other, other situations aren't quite so amenable to that approach. Sure. Like you're having arguments with your partner at home and you come in and you're tired and you're, you know, tearful or sad. It's very difficult to do that. But obviously, this is where you have to build a kind of a Chinese wall and, and put some energy into setting that, those preoccupations aside and getting your work done. I don't want to say suck it up because it's down that way. But <laughs> is that the technical term? Or like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, 
you, you might have somebody at work, on the other hand, who is sympathetic, who you right. can talk to on your breaks and at uh, lunchtime, and then that can actually be a, a, real, a really great stress release. And in fact, having friends at work for that reason, as long as you're not violating workplace policies on uh, kind of problematic relationships, can be a way that your work life can even enhance your family life. Because what I was going to say is that there are models of work and family stress that talk about enrichment. Mm -hmm. And even though we often think, oh, there's this drain, work and family, you can never get everything done. There are models that talk about how your resources in one area enrich your ability to cope in other areas. So you have skills that you have at work that you bring to your home life, like organizing your bill paying or delegating tasks. And similarly, there can be resources from your home life that you bring into the workplace, such as handling relationships with younger people. I think that's some uh, quality insight to leave our listeners with today. Susan, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your expertise with us. Absolutely, Tim. It's been a pleasure. With that, we'll wrap up this edition of Employment Notebook. We've been speaking with Susan Whitbourne, professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. You can also find more of her work at psychologytoday.com. Look for her blog, Fulfillment at Any Age. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our episodes on LJN Radio, you can send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the LJN. And we encourage you to check out all of our shows on iTunes as well. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.